Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! What is up, everyone? Let's get into state! Let's get into state! Into the states! Where are you? Are you in the United States? A lot of our listeners are. But where are you? You could be anywhere. You could be one of those, oh my God, you could be one of those lifestyle entrepreneurs. You know the one with the laptop and the hammock? And the like virgin Mai Tai, because you're like, hold on, I wanna I wanna keep my edge, you know, while I answer these emails, but I will go for the virgin Mai Tai. No, you know what? Make it a daiquiri. Make it a daiquiri. Isn't that the 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 life that so many of us out there are dreaming of? If we if we're paying attention to Instagram ads, it's certainly what so many companies think that we're after. Um, and in a lot of ways it is. But what we're about here at Fizzle is your personal freedom. Right, Your personal independence to, as we say, earn a living doing something you actually care about. Just something you don't hate. <laughs> like, Is that too much to ask? I want to earn a living feeling like I'm not contributing to the problem. That's it. <laughs> That's all. And today we've got an awesome guest on the show. As you know, we always have honest, uh, like in-depth, raw conversations because we're interested in the nitty-gritty of entrepreneurship where you can go on LinkedIn articles if you want to find the, you know, the, the five W's of how to be just like Gary Vaynerchuk or something like that. But what we're interested in is not what worked yesterday. We like to learn that. We're really interested in what's going to work today for you. So it's not what's going to work today for me so much. It's going to work what's today for you. Because, man, I'll be damned if Carl Sagan wasn't right about you guys being made of star stuff. Have you thought about that recently, Corbett? <laughs> Corbett? You know... We still don't know what we're doing here. I'm just going to open it up with the existential pit of despair. We do know. We're smart monkeys made of stardust. We're smart monkeys. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's what we got. All right. So leaning into the abyss and on the in the in the. In, in the context of that, here you are, you come to life, you're conscious, and you're just like, okay, hold on, a couple things I know. Don't want to make my mom mad, because, dude, it actually hurt. like, I hate to see her like that, you know? Don't want to make my dad mad, because, man, it hurts. <laughs> like, he actually hits me. That guy was beating me loud. Uh, and then a handful of other things you learn on the way, and one of which is, I got to earn some money, dude. I got to earn some money, because I want to get those Jordans. I got to earn some money because I, I want to like, I want to sit on my back and watch Jordan Peterson episodes all day. I or like, I don't know what you want from life. I don't know. Netflix is like killing it for me right now. This episode, this, this show called uh, one strange rock digging it, but that's me. I'm into drugs. I'm into hanging out with friends. I'm into, I'm into going deep with people. And I'm into working on my relationship with my wife. Cause I'll be damned if that, if that, when that clicks, man, that feels good. But what is it for you right now? What do you want to? You want to like? You want to upgrade to more like uh, grass-fed meats? Be able to afford that? I don't know. What is it? Either way, whatever it is, you're going to find out. You need to make some money. You need to get that squilla, and you need to do it sustainably. And so our guest today has been sort of like, <laughs> sort of like a, a, a bodhisattva in the era of the internet. He's really like uh, helped translate some some classic stuff and then totally reinvent some things uh, so that we can actually hear it and understand it. Uh, I want to introduce to you today, Ramit Saiti. Ramit, say what's up, brother. How you doing? Thanks for having me. You got it, man. We're stoked to have you. On the line here also, we have Aiden Fishbein. Aiden, say delay. Oh, delay. Oh, you heard a bit of a delay there. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Corbett Barr, say what's up. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. 
Give us a little update, Corb. By the way, you're back from the like, oh, from the from the from the, literally the lifestyle designy travel world of going off <laughs> into Spain and like cruising around. Uh, Thumbs yeah. up. I was uh, recently in in Portugal, Morocco, Spain, New York City, and now I'm back in Portland. And uh, at least I think I am. Because I'm not yeah. sure where I am. I yeah. woke up this morning, like I said earlier, <clears throat> 4.30, just snapped right to attention, and I could sense there was no going back to sleep. So I just, <laughs> I just got my laptop out and started working it. Oh, I love this. Okay, cool. So we're good. We're good. We're grounded. Are you there, listener? Are you here? Are you in your car? What are you doing? You're walking around? You ready to get into it? Because here's what, like, the, the nucleus of the problem that I want to pull apart. The issue, the emotional issue that a lot of us have is this kind of anxiety, stress, neurosis, that can sometimes fade off if you deal with it for so long into a depression, a dullness around how are we going to make that money and how much is enough and what is the right strategy and am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? Am I being stupid? Am I being smart, right? Just constant, just voice in our head stuff about money. And that's kind of what I want to pull apart today. So Aiden, I want to, I want to hand it off to you. I want you to like lead us into where we can get Ramit to just start talking so we can start taking notes. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can definitely facilitate. Um, but yeah, so, so dovetailing as I do out of that, um, making money and the reality of, of business and the reality of needing to, to support yourself so you have uh, the ability to continue on, to grow, to learn, to build the lifestyle. Um, the cornerstone of this conversation is going to be about passion, right? It's very, very frequently thrown around. Dream job, dream business. You got to follow the, the thing you love. If you, if you find that, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, historically, if you've been listening for at least a little while, you'll know that this is, we know that this is a complex topic and we know that more often than not, everything becomes work. You do need to make money. Pursuing something you care about tends to be a lot less pressure. And, um, and this is kind of our philosophy about following kind of the lifestyle and 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 see and you know picking up the job along the way or picking up the business topic as a result of having a clear focus on that lifestyle but Ramit has uh has his own personal vendetta against passion so maybe you could you could kind of start Ramit by uh by giving us kind of a rundown of of why exactly you got so fired up in the first place about this well i remember i used to listen to uh youtube videos by these CEOs and they would talk about what it takes to succeed in business. And we've all heard these podcasts or YouTube videos and think about a CEO who you really admire. Like for, for me uh, at a point it was Richard Branson. And if you listen to a very experienced CEO, give a speech, they're always going to say the same thing. They're always going to say, find your passion, find your love. You'll never work an hour in your life and on and on and on. Right. right. And I'm right. like, okay, what does that mean for me? How do I get my next 10 clients? What is the right way to grow my business? How do I stand out? The passion answer was never satisfactory to me. And, you know, everyone who remembers that book, The Emperor Has No Clothes, right? Everyone's oh, yeah. saying this emperor, so great. And then one person has the courage to say, like, that's not actually true. This emperor is not wearing any of that. I found that experience when I was starting off in college and I was learning about money. Everyone was saying, don't spend money on lattes. This completely ridiculous advice. It sounds logical. It doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense if you actually break it down. And I called BS on that. And I found the same exact thing happening when I heard these very experienced CEOs saying, 
Just find your passion. And I want to tell you why they say that. Okay. I'll tell you why. And then I'm gonna tell you what I believe instead. I, I know why they do it because I've started to do it myself. <laughs> and this is the worst. My worst walking nightmare is parroting these high level. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Hold on. So you're, you're at this. You're at the. You've been doing it for long enough where you're starting to see kind of how they were seeing, aren't you? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I hate it. And that's why I'm coming yeah. back on this show. I'm coming on this show to say I'm recommitting to never <laughs> going out and saying, guys, all you need to do is find your passion. It's so cool. Huzzah. No. Huzzah. Here's, yeah. Here's why. Because the world wants to polish off your edges. The world mm. wants to polish them off and it wants you to give a really nice, neat answer that everyone smiles and nods to. And they say, oh, that makes sense. And they go home feeling good for six hours and then they wake up the next day and they're still as stuck as they were. That's exactly what happened to me when I heard the passion comment. That's exactly what happens to people when you ask somebody who's super fit, man, how do you do it? And then you know what most people say? They'll say, oh, I just try to watch what I eat and I exercise whenever I can. It's like, that's a lie, dude. I know what it takes to look like you. You don't want to tell the truth because people don't like to hear it. And I know that from the personal finance world, from the fitness world, from the passion world, from uh, careers. And so that's the psychology of why more senior people will give you these really nice sounding answers that don't actually have anything in it. Mm. And now I want to tell you what I believe instead. So I think passion is important. I think you should like what you do. And I think that it becomes more important because uh, times will get tough in your business no matter what. Okay, so maybe you found your first 10 clients pretty easily, but that 11th client is really hard. And from 11 to 100 is really hard. And once you get to 100, you know, you're grooving, but that's, there's a tough time in a business for any entrepreneur. I get that. So you need to be somewhat interested in what you do. But I will tell you that I have a different belief, which is that instead of waiting for passion to fall down from the sky and then pursuing it, which most people wait for their whole lives, I would say pick something where you can win and start winning. I get passionate when I win. And so do most people. You can win by earning $1 or $1,000. You can win by being able to go to a movie on a Thursday afternoon, or you can win by helping one person achieve their goals, one of your customers. It doesn't matter. You define what winning is, but stop waiting for passion to come around. You get passionate when you start winning. Mm. Mm. Okay. So winning, winning, this is something that's like, okay. So, so, so pull apart winning for me, Ramit, like what, what do you mean by win? Does that mean like a race, like a foot race, like get some guys together and go like, all right. And, and like beat them in a race. What is winning? Do you mean? When, when, uh, when I talk to entrepreneurs who are starting out, you know, they're, they're of course preoccupied with whether this is a good idea or not. <laughs> and it re- totally reminds me of when I started, I will teach you to be rich. So I didn't know if it was a good idea. It was a blog. I was this cocky college kid and all my friends were going to work at companies like Google, Facebook, and I was actually going to go work at Google myself. And then I decided not to. And my friends would actually say, when are you going to get a real job? And for a beginning entrepreneur who's already pretty insecure about the idea, that was like a body blow. Um, And it's really painful to watch entrepreneurs struggle when they're beginning. Everybody struggles, but to have um, the people around them, whether it be friends or family, question them. And that's why I think like what you're doing here is so valuable because you need somebody who says, you know what? It's hard, but a lot of other entrepreneurs have done it. You can do it too. So that's one. In the early days, winning can literally be someone saying to you, 
you know what? I believe in you. And like, to tell you the truth, I've spoken to literally millions of people through my email list, through my book, uh, courses. You would not believe how few people, I would say it's less than 1% have had someone in the last one year say, I believe in you. Think about that. When was the last time for everybody listening that somebody close to you said, you know what? I believe in you. I'm proud Mm. of you. Mm. For most people, that's like maybe when they were a kid. And that's number one. So you're surrounding yourself with folks like you and other people who say they're looking at the best, not all the worst things that can happen. Mm. And I think the next thing that happens is winning can mean actually getting people to be interested in you. And that's as simple as signing up for your email list or following you on Instagram. No payment necessary, just somebody who actually went out of their way and clicked follow or subscribe. I think the real win comes when you're starting a business is when somebody pulls out their credit card and pays you. There is no better validation that you're offering value to the world than someone paying you. Nobody's tripping. They're not getting out of their car, tripping and paying you 2000 bucks. That's never happening. They are very (laughs) smart. People are smart with their money. And so when somebody pays you and they stick with the program, you know, you've got something good. Yeah, this is big deal. This is big deal stuff because like, and a lot of people, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a solid like 20% of the audience out there who have, have yet to feel that experience. You know, of, of like when someone literally trusts, not even you, I guess they're trusting you, but I mean, they're really trusting the sales page and the value prop and the, all these things. The whole thing. Yeah. To go through and, and, and do it. And, and that's a, that's like a, a big, that's a big moment. I remember Nathan Barry always talking about like, like how when you're asking someone, you're asking your friends, hey, is this a good idea? Hey, is this a good idea? He's like, don't ever listen to them. Don't ever yeah. ask your questions that. Or don't ask people that. Like the feedback you get is when people pull out their credit card, just like Ramit said, and actually purchase your thing. That is the feedback. You can easily iterate on that. You can put together 10 projects in, in a month if you're just doing quick little guys and, and a proxy for, I think as I don't know, I don't know how anymore if the email address is a good proxy for whether or not someone is willing to pay for something down the line, down the down the line. I think it still is. Just yeah, it's a good indicator. It is, Absolutely, it's a, it's just a, it cost. I know it's going to cost me something. You know, in Unless some ways, it's hotmail. Then you then you can <laughs> with good certainty say they're never going to buy. Exactly. <laughs> here here. That's, Wait, that's okay, right. that's so why I, I got to tell you guys. I wrote this article called eight signs that uh, someone will never pay you. And you can just Google for it, uh, for my name and that. And there are these telltale signs that people will never buy. And one of them is they have a Hotmail email address. I know it. I know the (laughs) metrics behind it. If you have a Hotmail address, do not send me a note right now telling me, oh, I was going to buy your thing until you said that on the podcast. No, you weren't. I already know it. You don't even know it, but I know it. You were never going to buy that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, so we, we're talking about passion, and we're talking about how you know these kind of these business czars like a like a Branson and and people like that. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs' commencement address at Stanford is still something that like, I mean, I gotta, <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's like my you're my boy, Blue. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot I get out of that that idea about about. Um, you know, staying hungry and staying foolish is one of the big things, but he kind of pow- spouts off with this same kind of thing, you know, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life. Okay. So is, yeah, is, let, let's talk about that. So th- that was my commencement address. So I was in the audience for that. No, commencement you weren't. Really? You yes, really weren't. Yes. What? 
Yes. Yes. I know. And it's so crazy. Yeah. That was my commencement address at Stanford. That is like, that is such a legit, like, that's what I would lead with. Yeah. You got the credentials. I I just happened to graduate Stanford the year that Steve Jobs did the commencement address. Just because like, as far as special moments to be there for, like that is, you know, that's a big moment. That's like a, that, especially with the way his life went after that. And all, like, that's pretty fun to hear, man. That's cool. So you were there. What was it like? Um, it was, it was a great speech. I still remember a couple of things that happened that you would only know uh, if you were in the audience. So one yeah. of them was actually, you can see this on his YouTube thing. He starts off by saying, you know, I'm just going to tell you three stories, just three quick stories. And it was just a beautiful example of, Steve Jobs living a life of simplicity in everything he did, including his speech. That was one, just three stories. That's mm. it. Yeah. The other thing that was amazing was there was a moment where he talked about how he took a calligraphy class and yeah. how he decided to drop out of school. Okay. Now you will never see this on the YouTube video, but I will tell mm. you sitting in the audience with my classmates at that time, when he said uh, something to the effect of how he dropped out of school, Mm. There were a lot of people who were unhappy in the audience. And I thought this was an amazing moment. I've actually never talked about this before. Um, There were a couple of people around me who kind of grumbled and said like, oh, thanks for telling, thanks for saying that now. I mean, here are a bunch of Stanford students who just spent years of their life working hard and in some cases, yeah, sacrificing and maybe even incurring a lot of debt or, or parents' debt. And I thought it was amazing because... What Steve Jobs was really saying was, this was my story, and here's what I learned. What the people in the audience, at least the ones that I heard grumbling, were saying, were taking away was, Steve Jobs is telling me what to do, and <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah, and I think yeah. this, is a, this is a moment for everyone here, because, look, I can tell you my story about how I started off you know, trying to teach people about personal finance. Nobody came. I started a blog. I eventually sold a $5 product. A few people bought. And if you fast forward, you know, we've got dozens of employees. We have products from a couple hundred bucks to 10,000 plus and a New York times bestselling book. I can tell you all those stories, but, but it would be very easy for you listening to say, Oh, I don't like how he said that. Or this guy sounds a little arrogant or whatever, whatever it is that rubs you the wrong way. I would challenge everybody listening you don't have to agree with everything the person is saying. You can even disagree with some of the f- philosophies, but I think you can always learn one interesting and applicable thing from any book, from any podcaster. Like I, I follow a lot of political stuff that I don't agree with, but I would challenge everyone to not think that anyone is telling you what to do, but rather sharing mm. their story. And then you pick out the best uh, and apply it to your own life. Yeah. yeah, that's that critical thought, baby. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that critical thought. You just brought brought something up that I think is is really very, very, very important, which is that <clears throat> in in a lot of what what we get exposed to on uh, kind of entrepreneurial entrepreneurial lifestyle conversations online is kind of very it is oversimplified. It's definitely not Steve Jobs simplified. Yeah. So with a little bit of layer of critical thought, you can brush just the veneer off the surface of it mm-hmm. and you can be a little critical and you can actually find your custom answer or at least i i should speak for myself but i found my kind of custom answer in in terms of kind of like just tweaking the message a little bit instead of passionate something that that i care about right because then i can stay focused i can stay interested and i can stay motivated to learn and develop myself and then also with this whole winning thing um since that's so subjective um 
I'd love to talk more about it, but for me, and I think I think this is what we're picking up on is that measuring my score against the lifestyle I desire is a lot more than, uh, or it's is it's a lot easier and it's a lot more motivating for me to do that than this amorphous is this what I was born to do kind mm, of thought. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So totally. yeah, what do, what do you think about that? I love that insight. I love it, and I love that you're challenging your listeners to look beyond the easy answer. The magic is in the nuance. And that's why it's so ridiculous when people say, hey, do you have a short, do you have a Cliff's Notes on that book? Right. Or I read 10 books. It's like, get a life. You, what's the point? So you're just reading books so that you can say you read 10 books last week. That's not the point. The point is to actually read one book and apply it. And um, I completely agree that the magic is in the nuance. That's why I'm excited to talk to you here. I'd rather be here then going on TV for a 90 second, you know, tell me three tips. I, yeah, I, I lost interest right. in that a long time ago. I, I bet the people listening. I think lost the world has lost interest in yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And it's so like, like, I'll challenge everyone. Like you see all the people around you doing these, these lists and these clickbait topics. And you and I both know the emperor has no clothes. You know that you don't even read those. So why are you writing them? Be honest. Talk about the stuff that you actually are reading and finding value so and do that. Yeah. yeah, do that. Like I remember being at Stanford in, in a class and we had this group project that we were presenting and everybody, it was so hilarious. Every group would go up and they would present and they had this really boring format that everyone seemed to be using. It was like uh, there was something in the air and everyone just followed this template. And I asked the group next to us, I'm like, are you watching any of these presentations? The guy's like, I'm bored out of my mind. And then 10 seconds later, he goes up and gives the exact same presentation. I'm like, <laughs> the emperor has no clothes. So if you're bored by short blog posts or Instagram things where people are looking out over the ocean and saying like, oh, the future is with us or whatever people say on Instagram. Be now. the change you want to see yeah. in the world. <laughs> Just don't do that. Like I started, I started posting on Instagram and I decided to do it completely my way. And I did everything wrong. I did tons of text. I posted photos that were not, I don't have a like photographer or anything like that. Like my photos suck. And I just posted about like all these different like luxury hotels, or I posted like stuff about my business. And it, it wasn't very good at the beginning to tell you the truth, but I found my groove and I just decided to do it my own way. And that has made all the difference. My Instagram account is actually a pretty good part of the business now. So mm. I would challenge everyone, like call out the emperor has no clothes when you don't enjoy something and then find something that resonates with you. Because if it resonates with you, your customers are probably going to be the ones that also resonates with. Okay. This is fascinating because what we're talking about right now, we're actually in the, in the sphere of authenticity, which to me is, uh, I, it's like, it is that you said, uh, Ramit, that the magic is in the nuance. Right. So for people who are just who are just just (laughs) joining, like pretending like we're on NPR, we're talking about (laughs) we're talking about passion. Right. And we're talking about the down pat, almost too easy to to work. You know, you've heard of too big to fail where there's a lot of advice out there that's too easy to work. And that is the advice around, you know, 
find what you love, do what you love, find your passion. Ramit had this great, you said this great thing about just waiting for your passion to fall out of the the sky and just like, like, I guess, sit on your face. And now you know what to do, right? Apparently now I can just follow this. And some people, it, it seems, can wait their whole life for that. So what's the other alternative? And Ramit says, why don't you find something you can be good at? Why don't you find something you can win and start winning and practice winning and see how your passion uh, finds you over time? Or maybe you you discover it it, 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 it maybe blooms in the context of this. And what we started talking about is, okay, so who should we be paying attention to in some ways? We talked about Steve Jobs saying this great, uh, having his great commencement speech. <laughs> I still can't believe you were in the audience of it. It's just like <laughs> so sick to me. That, but like you, you literally were able to recount something that he did in the in the audience that nobody because you were in the audience that it wasn't on the YouTube video, right? It's like yeah. it's like it's lost. It's lost to the sands of time. How many of the things that survived the sands of time, like uh, just aren't the full story? This it's is not, what there's uh, no more this nuance. Is what, this is what where I'm getting to, and actually, that's a fascinating dovetail into one of the biggest things, uh, biggest messages I ever received on authenticity was actually um, when Tim Ferriss interviewed Dan Carlin of Hardcore History. Mm-hmm. And Dan Carlin, uh, also a guy who's going like, we've lost so much to the sands of time, but if you pay attention, you can find the strands. And if you haven't done his like four episode series on the Mongols, uh, uh, like you're missing out on, on such an amazing storyteller and, and an amazing capacity for entertainment. And it's, like a massive podcast. Like I learned so much realizing that it's big and learning about his business model and learning about how he performs what he does on that Tim Ferriss episode. And he talks about this authenticity thing as kind of the key to, to his whole thing and to basically all the friends that he's meeting who are also successful. It seems like there's a common, uh, there's a common language or vernacular around authenticity, which is really the capacity and ability to pursue and know thyself and express it in some way such that audiences out there, people out there are attracted to it, discover it, uh, are drawn towards it, almost like a moth to a, to a flame. So it's all just ma- manipulation all the way down, I guess. But what I find in my entrepreneurial journey over the last you know, almost decade or whatever is we're dealing with audiences and I've always been like a style guy, like an aesthetics guy. Like, a um, uh, it was always about like, not like what, sh- like, it's like, what band's shirt am I wearing? Like that sends a signal. Right. And I think that's my way of like maybe trying to get girls to like me. And I got to be honest, you guys, if you're thinking about what shirt, what what band's shirt you should wear to get chicks to be interested in you, there's way better ways to get chicks interested in you that are way more effective. But there was always a question for me about how am I going to show up in the world? How am I going to display in my plumage or do my thing? And I got to be honest that half the time I was faking it and I wasn't doing the real thing. And people around you know when you're faking it. Because why? Because they're, they're, it's like just like what you were saying, Ramit, being in the back of the room with your buddy. And he's like, dude, all these presentations are lame. They're so boring. They're so, they don't click. They don't, I'm not engaged. And then what, what happens when, when he gets up and does his presentation? Does the same kind of thing, right? How many of us out there are doing our podcasts, our blogs, our businesses, our business plans, our business models, our audience growth strategies and tactics are, are whatever strategy or problem you're trying to solve right now. How many of us are doing it just the way that we see everybody else doing it around us that we're actually kind of bored by? And if we're honest and we look at it, we can tell. 
oh my God, I'm bored by this. So what would be interesting to you? And now we're into the critical thought again and just looking at all the advice and going like, okay, so who am I and what should I do here? And we're also back into the existential pit hole. So Aiden, I'm hoping that you can pull (laughs) us out of this in some way, shape or form. Do you see uh, a thread uh, evolving from this conversation so far? And actually I'll put you on on hold there for a second, Aiden, because we have a couple sponsors for the show today. Corbett, who is sponsoring the lovely and talented <laughs> Fizzle Show today? <laughs> if you do say so yourself. <laughs> well, as you know, everybody loves payday, but loving a payroll provider might be a little weird. But still, small businesses across the country actually love running payroll with Gusto because Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's modern, it's easy to use, and you might just fall in love with it yourself. I know we have at Fizzle. I talk about this all the time. I don't know what we would have done before Gusto. We would have used some crappy payroll provider, and I would have pulled my hair out every time I had to open it up. So listeners of The Fizzle Show actually get three months free when they run their first payroll. You can try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash fizzle. That's gusto.com slash fizzle. We have another sponsor today, which is discover.bot. What the heck is that? What's a bot? (laughs) Well, there are all kinds of chat bots out there these days. You probably aren't even necessarily aware of when you're communicating with one. But bots are this interesting future. Alexa is a bot, if you think about it. It's a non-human thing that can interact with humans through voice, through chat. Discover.bot is an online community for people who are creating bots designed to serve as a platform agnostic space for developers and enthusiasts to get together, talk about what works, what doesn't, and to move the conversation about bots forward together. This is built by Amazon Registry Services, Inc., and uh, you can get all kinds of good resources there about how to create bots, uh, how to understand what bots are if you're a beginner, and uh, how to understand bot building frameworks. All you have to do is head to discover.bot slash fizzle. That's discover.bot slash fizzle. Love it. Love it. Okay, Aiden, where do you want to go from here, brother? Well, I have a train that we can land. Um, so uh, it's going to be kind of like an interesting round-robin pitch. So you've pitched it to me. I have an idea that that I would love Corbett to help me flesh out to then pitch to Ramit. And it, it is back to the lifestyle thing. Um, I personally think that passion for a specific kind of lifestyle um, can actually be more effective than passion for a specific topic or even like passion for a specific ideal person that you're trying to help. Right. Um, so to say more about the passion for a lifestyle, say more. Right. So, so for example, um, and this is kind of like, uh, I'd love Corbett to describe a little bit more about how he's built his life around his business or I'm sorry, his business around, around his life. But, um, passion for a lifestyle could be the Mai Tai uh, daiquiri hammock, right? Yeah, it could yeah. be. Um, wh- what did you say, Ramit? Um, yeah, just the flexibility and luxury of like, hey, I want to go see a movie. It's Thursday afternoon. I'm doing mm. it. You know, oh, I love that. Um, so, I want that in my life. Right, yeah, that's the lifestyle I wanted to buy. So ultimate freedom, and I think it really does boil down to um, just sovereignty. I can do what I want on mm. my own time. Um, and and so for me, if I get really clear about that, because I can take its its own thousand pathways, thousand different kinds of structures of what you want your life to look like or even feel like if you start there. And then I think it's the easiest, I think for me, it's the easiest 
place to reverse engineer from. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, Corbin, I'm curious, did you map out your lifestyle and begin the process kind of backwards like that? And then I'd love to hear, um, yeah, Ramit, if, if you had a similar experience. For me, the the lifestyle that I'm living now and the business that I'm running now started all started actually 10 years ago this month or Ooh, last, month, last month. Happy in, birthday. In March. That's, that's when you took the sabbatical? That's when I took a sabbatical to Mexico after I had run a startup for a few years, a Silicon Valley startup that blew up and uh, really needed to figure out what I wanted to do next. So 10 years mm. ago, I, I took a sabbatical to Mexico. Wow. And mm. while I was there... I started realizing that there were all kinds of people who were living really interesting lifestyles. Everybody didn't work in a cubicle all day. Some people, you know, took a few months off and and went and lived in other countries and and did interesting stuff and actually worked on things that they cared about. So those became constraints for me. I don't know if it was uh, if if caring about the lifestyle that you're going to be able to live is enough to make a business successful. I don't think it is, but it was a constraint. It was something that I knew that as I assembled the rest of my business model, that that had to be satisfied. I had to be able Mm. to uh, live a different kind of a life. So to me, I think uh, building a successful business is more like um, baking a cake or something. It's, It's a recipe that requires several ingredients. Passion is one of them. Maybe the lifestyle that you want to live is another. But just like you can't build a cake with only flour, you need salt and and other things. Um, I think that this conversation needs to go deeper on what those other ingredients are. And I guess that's what I would like to hear from Ramit, right? We've talked about passion. We talked a little bit about authenticity, but what are those other critical ingredients that people need to make sure is in the cakes so that it will be tasty? You know, Ramit, mm. you're, you're here partly because of your expertise around money. Maybe that's something that we can cover as well. Mm. Yeah. I love mm. that cake metaphor, Corbett. I love that. Yeah. It, it, uh, yeah. it explains so much because Sometimes you want a cake that's got a little extra icing on it, right? Sometimes you want to celebrate more. Sometimes you just want something simple. So the cake can change or the consistency of your business can change. Sometimes you're harvesting high profits. Other times you're in growth mode and you're putting all that money back in the business. So I I think that metaphor is amazing. And I would challenge everybody to think about what are the four or five key ingredients in your business, where if you took any one of them away, that, that cake might collapse. Um, Mm. I will say that money is probably one of the more important ones because if you don't have money, you don't have a business. You just have a hobby. And this is a key challenge with beginning entrepreneurs. Money is so loaded that people start off talking about their business by talking about all the reasons they don't want to make money. It's so ridiculous. Just think about it. They're like, (laughs) well, I don't want to be too salesy. What? What? So what's that? Mm-hmm. what you're really saying, if you actually unpack that 10 layers is I have a fear of money. I wasn't raised around uh, entrepreneurs. I worry that people will think X or Y about me. And therefore yeah. I'm going to start my business by defining what I won't be instead of by defining what I will be. How preposterous. Mm-hmm. It's just, everyone has seen these dating profiles it's, it, there's a lot of similarities between fitness, finance, dating. There's a lot of similarities. People will start off by saying all the things they don't want in a partner. And you see their mm-hmm. profile on any one of these dating services. Don't message me if dot, dot, dot. 
And I'm like, well, okay, that's you just made it easy. Nobody should message you because you're starting off by defining what you don't want instead of what you do want. So mm. just as a quick digression, it's really easy to talk about all the things you don't want to do. Well, I yeah. don't want to be salesy. I don't want to post my photos of myself on Instagram every day, blah, blah, blah. It's intoxicating to talk about what you don't want. I would yeah. challenge you to put that aside, talk about what you do want. So money mm. is a good place to start. Um, I think money is a core part of a business. If you don't have money, you don't have a business. You have a hobby. And if you do start by saying, you know what? I'm comfortable enough to know that if I create value for the world, that I should be compensated for it. That's like a base level to start with, okay? Then you can say, the more value I create, the more I get paid. Then you can go even deeper. There is no limit. But let me try that again. There's a limit to how much I can save, but there is no limit to how much I can earn. Do you know, for example, that I've taken um, an email I've written and a single email has generated millions of dollars? That's crazy. But the value that I communicated in this single email was absolutely phenomenal for literally thousands of people. So there is no limit to how much you can earn. Of course, you need to be really good at what you do. And then with money, you can also say, the more I earn, the more I can invest. You can invest in the stock market, which I would encourage everybody to do. You can invest in yourself through conferences, courses, uh, self-development. You can also invest in your team. So because we earn profit, we can hire amazing people who can come up with better product ideas, better design, better technology, which helps us spread our message even more. So it's this beautiful flywheel. And now all of a sudden you've completely shifted your mindset away from what you can't do and what you don't want to what you do want and what you mm. can do with money. That's why I challenge everyone to start defining what they do want when it comes to the finances of their business. Mm. I like this. I like, okay. So let me read these back to you. This is, this is to me, this is like a little bit of a master course right here, guys. Install these like little um, apps on your system. Here's one app. If I create value in the world, then I should be compensated for it, okay? Now, that one I want to come back to because I think that's, I think that a lot hinges on that one, especially for a lot of the millennials. Can I, let me, let me clarify the wording because I think I remember the wording because that is what impacted me so much. Um, If I provide value and Ramit, correct me if I'm wrong, then I am comfortable being paid for it. Is that what you said? Um, We'd have to go back and rewind the tape, but (laughs) I will tell you this. I, I will tell you this. If you are creating value in the world, then you should be compensated. Totally. And yeah. when it comes totally. to your business, if the way I said, if I'm providing value, then I will be compensated for it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, right. And that's just like a way, it seems like it's a way of being, right? It's almost like, you know what? I, 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 I listen to so many, um, like one of my favorite comedians is Hassan Minaj. And through him, I feel like I've, I've just, I've learned about this whole world of like the immigrant kid, with, which reminded me of you, Ramit, when you were talking, telling stories yeah. about what it was like learning about money from your mom and dad and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. My parents being, are both immigrants. Dude, yeah. So, so my parents are both immigrants and we, you know, it's funny. I've gotten now a, a, a reputation in the personal finance community for not being frugal at all because I talk about mm. how to earn more money and like how to buy if you want you know, $2,000 pair of shoes or leather jacket or take a beautiful vacation. But what people don't understand is that I grew up with a family of six 
we grew up, we never took vacations. And when we did, it was driving down to LA. We would pack sandwiches and we would go visit our family there. And we would, of course, stay with them. Um, we, you know, I had to pay my way through college, through scholarships. And even to this day, my computer is, I'm the one that I'm using right now, the one that runs my entire business is like over five years old. Yeah. Okay. So there is an element of keeping those money stories that you grew yeah. up with. Yeah. But I've also, of course, added new money stories, which is that it's okay to pay not just a little, but actually to spend extravagantly on the things I love. Mm. There's an element where if I go into a restaurant, like I don't look at the prices, it's irrelevant to me, but I also hardly ever eat out. Um, yeah. If I go on vacation, I'm going to pick the nicest place that I want to go. And price is not the primary concern. So yeah. where, where I'm getting with this with entrepreneurs is this, for me, my dreams or winning was really simple when it came to money early on, like really simple. I mm. wanted to be able to order an appetizer from a restaurant. Like, cause I never did that growing up. It's that simple. I wanted to be able to take a taxi in summer. So I didn't have to go to a meeting sweating after getting off the subway. That's like $10. So mm. simple. I didn't start off by saying, you know, I really want to have like this really expensive, extravagant vacation. No, no way. That wasn't real for me. But what happened was I started creating value. People started paying. And you know what? A lot of stuff happens when you start charging for the beginning entrepreneurs out there. You know that people are going to write you angry emails. Mm. They're, they're going to call you a sellout. They're going to say, why don't you give this to me for free? You're, you, you know, people even say to me, you know, if you follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, you would give this away for free. I was yeah. like, uh, listen, I, I didn't go to church. Um, well, I didn't read the Bible every Sunday, but I know that you're not really interpreting that message correctly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you have to withstand a lot to realize that if you are delivering value, you will be compensated. That also means that if you're struggling right now and you're not getting people signing up for your services or your products, take a hard look in the mirror and really ask yourself, am I actually providing value? If no one is paying you, it's probably not your webinar format. It's probably not your conversion rate on your XYZ yeah. page. You might just not be offering value. So get yeah. honest with yourself and change what you're doing and do some customer research. If you do that, then you'll be able to be honest and say, okay, I'm going to provide something that is value. How do I know it's value? It's because people were found it important enough to pull out their credit card and pay. Now, I'm no. curious, Ramit, I mean, how long have you been talking about value, cu creating value, customer research? I mean, that's kind of, I, if, if you're anything like us, that was sort of day one kind of ideas. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for you? Same. It's like forever. It's still, to me, Always come back. More, the more yeah. young entrepreneurs I hang out with, the more new entrepreneurs, the more, <clears throat> and even, even experienced ones, like it's just, I find that they'll forget it. It's like, I can just camp out for the rest of my life on this idea of how do we create value. It's strange, but this is talked about in this, in this, this almost call it a, a precept here. If I create value in the world, then yeah. I should be compensated for it. Now, this is, <clears throat> this is like you mentioned, if you were a Bible believing Christian, then you'd be giving away this stuff for free. I know a lot of people struggle with that idea of like, why should I have, because I, for example, had a very different experience than the immigrant kid experience. 
mm. right? My dad was making bunches of money, but he was gone. He was working. He was doing things overseas and developing massive businesses and doing all sorts of stuff. And I'm just in this like upper middle class, kids at 16 getting Mustangs around me. And if I was, a sh- if I really wanted to, I could have like pouted enough to like, and my dad would have been like, go away. Here's the car. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just knew that. I just knew that, right? And I grow up to realize I'm the bad guy in every good movie. (laughs) (laughs) You're the the Cobra Kai kid. I'm the fucking Cobra Kai! (laughs) This is what white boys out there, like, know beyond a shadow of a doubt. is like, dude, try so hard not to be the Cobra Guy. Please don't do it, because everybody's just ready for you to be that. Right. Do you know what I mean? And so the money thing for me, I took it instead of instead of being strong. Like my brother went and took it, be, and, and like, like he got strong with it. Right? He was literally homecoming king of the high school, and then that that just progressed through his life. He felt strong with it, and now he's got his existential crisis, um, which he's learning through. Whereas I had that early on, going like, "Why should I have when other people don't?" I was really into to punk, which got me just hanging out with a lot of very poor people, <laughs> you, know? you know. And and I got to see that world and just go like, "Man, what is?" this whole thing and so these money stories there's a lot of them that you could have like you just like kind of you're you're you just come uh, like like with them installed yeah they're just yeah. installed on your system well they're, and they're installed but they also from around uh they they happen they start from around your family and i, I yeah. want to give everyone a few examples of this so think back to whether you grew up with two parents or one or however you grew up think back to an early money memory and if it helps think back to the dinner table or think back to going to a restaurant or an amusement park and think about a memory where it really hit you. For example, a lot of people have the phrase that their mom or dad said, we don't talk about money in our family. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say, uh, their parents say, don't order anything when we go out to this restaurant, like we will order. Uh, I know for us, like we would order like two Cokes and share them with the whole family, right? That's mm-hmm. a, like a classic immigrant thing to do. And, um, those money memories really stick with you. What's crazy is that a lot of times we don't realize that we make money decisions now because of a money story that we heard when we were eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. Give you an example. How many entrepreneurs do you know who refuse to invest in a course or a program? And what are the words they use? I don't know. How do I know for sure this will be right for me. Well, you don't know. That's the point. It's an investment. And by the way, most of these courses, you can get a full refund if you don't like it. So that's Mm -hmm. the point. They are operating on a scarcity-based, security-based mindset. I need X dollars to feel safe. This is another one that's super classic. And I hear this a lot, a lot. And people will say, I want to feel safe with my money. Okay. So what does that mean? They're like, I want $10,000 in my checking account. I'm like, okay, fine. No problem. What does that mean? Why does that make you feel safe? Well, because I know that if anything goes wrong, I can go and buy something for myself. Okay, great. No problem. But what are the implications of that? If you have $10,000 in your checking account, are you perhaps not investing your money elsewhere? Because you're actually losing money by having your money sitting in your checking account. Yeah. Well, that's where that stops because that's an emotional reaction. Emotions are fine. There's nothing wrong with emotions, but you want to make sure that you are informed about your money beliefs. So to bring it back to entrepreneurs, if your belief is, you know, I don't have enough money to invest in X or Y, then I always say, 
well, then why would your prospects have enough money to invest in you? Mm-hmm. If you're not investing in yourself, why would you expect any of your prospects to invest in you? Yeah. And that's a simple, that sort of ends that conversation right there because it really makes entrepreneurs realize they need to tackle their own money questions before they try to sell something yeah. to other people. How much do you think of like, okay, I'm, I'm very curious about this with you, Ramit. Like how much do you think of, of people's finding their way through life, you know, for pursuit of, of their own success and, and happiness and what, what is it? What is the line in the, uh, in the constitution? The pursuit, I guess it's just the pursuit of happiness, right? So the yeah. people's pursuit of their own happiness, their own success, their own like feeling of, you know, uh, what, whatever it is they're looking for. I'm curious, do you, get a, a sense that if you can if you can adjust their money story a lot of other things will just naturally fall into place do you do you, like how is that true that's why i started off writing about money first so i don't wake up pumped up to talk about roth iras okay yeah. just everyone who thinks i'm a huge nerd i am a nerd <laughs> i love star trek the next generation but i don't wake up jazzed about roth iras that's not what gets me excited what gets me excited is people realizing that they can take control of these things in their life using psychology. And money just happens to be the easiest and I believe one of the most powerful ones. But I'll tell you this, it's no surprise to me that once people use my book and they fix their finances and all of a sudden like they have no debt and they've negotiated a fifteen dollars to $20,000 raise and they're investing tons of money every month, it's no surprise that suddenly these people are like, you know what, I'm going to get fit. And they start becoming, right. they get into fitness. It's no surprise that suddenly a lot of them say, you know what? I think I'm going to start a little business on the side. And mm-hmm. now they're not just focusing on paying off debt. In other words, preventing the bad. They're actually focusing on more of the good. In other words, growth. And that's when their lives completely change. That's what mm-hmm. rich is about. It's not just about money. At a certain point you wake up, it's just another number in, in your bank account. That doesn't mean anything. It's what can you do with that money? That's a rich yeah. life. Yeah. I like this. So you mentioned your book, Ramit, like what's a, what, like there's a new book coming out from you. What's the story? <laughs> All right. So, um, 10 years ago in March of 2009, my book came out. It's called, I will teach you to be rich. And this is a book on personal finance. So, uh, you know, as I said, the emperor has no clothes as I was researching money you know, all this advice about, uh, don't spend money on lattes and keep a budget and all this stuff you've heard that you don't follow at all. You don't need to follow it. It doesn't matter how many lattes you buy. You can buy 10 lattes a day. Who cares? But you do need to get a few things right in life. Automate your investments and savings. Okay. You, you should spend less than one hour per month on your money, but your money should flow exactly where you need. I taught people how to do something I call conscious spending. So if you want to spend extravagantly on travel or your kids, or you want to pay for your parents' retirement, one example from my own life is when we went on our honeymoon, we took a really long extended six week honeymoon and we took our parents for part of it. And we just told mm. them to show up at the airport and don't worry about the rest. And we took care of everything. And it was our dream mm. to do that. That was an example of living our values. And mm. we didn't have to think about money at all because it was so, it was just, it was what we wanted to do with our values and our money just supported that in the new book. 10 years later, it's so funny. I don't believe in market timing, but if you bought that book in March, 2009 and used it, you're basically financially set for life. That happened (laughs) to be the bottom of the recession just by coincidence. So 
every there are so many stories I added in this book about people who use the book and they're set. Um, and I, I thought it was so important because when people think about rich, they often think it looks like a certain type of person. In this book, you see men and women, young and old, black and white, every different type of diversity you can imagine living their version of a rich life. One guy who I recall, he, uh, he and his wife retired at 36 and they drive an RV around the country. Like amazing. That's not my rich life, by the way that I don't want to do that, but he and his wife love it. So I added new tools, new stories, uh, new psychology of money in the book. And the book comes out May 14th. All right. Comes out May 14th. What's the title of it? I will teach you to be rich. Exactly. Man, I love that. And congratulations on 10 years of that, man. And, and like, what a, what a testament that you've got all, like, you've got these great, like, insanely rich stories to tell of people who are just applying these ideas that you're, hey, listen, guys, automate. I love that. Like, just automate your investment and savings. It's like such a simple thing. But it can make drastic uh, results in your life. And the idea of, I know, I know there's a lot of people out there, bro, who are listening to this show who are like, dude, 36, retired and traveling around yeah. with my babe in an RV. Like, that sounds pretty <laughs> damn good. You know you what? Know, jumping into, jumping yeah. into me, like jumping into projects if I feel like it, you know, exactly. doing partnerships with people because there's energy there. I'm like, yeah, that sounds a, like a blast. I mean, that's a rich life. And I think, um, I think what, what you mentioned earlier, was, you know, you've been speaking for years about customer research and focusing on the basics. And I have to say, I, I made a decision early on to avoid the clickbaity stuff or topics du jour. For example, Bitcoin. I made fun of them from day one because it's a complete crackpot lunacy for the people who said Bitcoin is the best investment ever. And I called them on it. I said, yeah. hey, if you have diversified your portfolio and you still have 5 or 10% you want to do for fun, be my yeah. guest. Most of these people did not. They just went, they go from one craze to the next. First, yeah. it's in-app monetization. Then it's chat bots. Then it's uh, automated this. Then it's Facebook ads. And they're just on from one fad to the other. Let them. I don't want to be a part of that. I think that the people listening here, and I believe that people actually have a craving to work hard to dive in deep, to get some nuance if they know that there's going to be a payoff at the end. Same mm. for business, same for money. So instead of worrying about like picking a random stock, spend a weekend, figure out your money and automate it, and you never have to think about it again. That's yeah. time well spent. I love it. I love it. Corbett, Aiden, any final words here? Well, uh, I... I Thank Ramit for coming on. I know that you're busy and I know that you have all kinds of opportunities and, and uh, appreciate you being here to share with the Fizzle Show audience because um, this topic of finding your passion or not finding your passion or figuring out the ingredients that are key to building your business cake, uh, one of those being money, it's, it's important to get back to fundamentals and, and I just appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. Big yeah. time. Big time. Aiden, anything else? Yeah, I'll, I'll echo the fundamentals. And um, man, I'm such a geek for for this this kind of like nature versus nurture money psychology stuff. And I totally, totally, totally agree. And I just want to hammer it home. Um, so much of your life depends on an accurate appraisal of the thoughts you have control over and the thoughts you don't have control over. And so, for example, money is a really, really 
easy one that a lot of people have these really kind of ingrained ideas, but they melt when you shine a light on them, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I really, really, really like that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of different practices you can choose from. Uh, Ramit's is, is one I totally wholeheartedly recommend. It's been, it's been something that I've referenced and, and learned from for a long time. Um, but money is definitely one of those things where we're to each their own. The only thing that, <clears throat> that I'll kind of leave with that has just been rattling around in my head is, uh, is a quote from Scorpion when he was interviewed on the Tim Ferriss show. Does anybody know who the Scorpion guy is? The wrestler <laughs> Scorpion? No, no. The band Scorpion? I, who are I'm we talking about here? Scorpion? I'm not going to go all the way into into who he is, but he's this. Um, he's he's one of the few like re- holds one of the records for highest IQ. Um, has this business that that essentially they they problem solve and for, he goes for billionaires. His, his name is Scorpion. So so look this guy <laughs> That's up. Fascinating. But, but he has this. Um, he mentioned something along the lines of trying to be charitable when you're a charity yourself is fruitless often, and um, sometimes you need to be effectively selfish for a chunk for the first half of your life even so that you can be effectively charitable for the second half of your life. And he uses the example of Bill Gates writing a single check that wiped out malaria for 7 million people. Um, and then Mother Teresa giving 100,000 hugs out that may or may not have had had much of a lasting solution-based impact. And he lets yeah. you make the decision, you know, who's the real saint here? <laughs> but um, I think the truth of this money baggage, the psychology trying to reverse engineer your dreams and your lifestyle um money is a huge huge component of that and if you can get comfortable with demanding and understanding that it is right to to ask for compensation um that is the fuel that's the resource that's the foundation that you can build your thing and probably develop passion because when things are working when you are winning it tends to work out and that's fuel for me at least so Yeah. yeah i love it no, I love it. I love it. And and Ramit, again, thanks for being on the show. This is Fizzle Show 314. So for all the show notes, just go to fizzleshow.co slash 314. Our thanks to our sponsors today and our thanks especially to you listeners out there who are out there grinding away, hustling away, finding your way, getting into the world, mixing it up, looking for the independence, the authenticity to be yourself and let your little light shine. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. You guys look so fucking good. I'll see you next time. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks for listening, y'all. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.